Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. This is Daniel. This should be a little bit of a shorter episode. I've got uh, some calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, BJ from the Arcane Alienist, to say that correctly, <laughs> and uh, Rob, aka Minion, from Confessions of a Wee Tim Uh You know, these guys called in, and I didn't want to sit on them forever like I usually do, so <laughs> we'll just do this as kind of a mini call-in show. Um, and uh, let's go from there. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. I guess I can take the mask off since I'm back in a hotel room. Um, I really love the way you're doing elves, and I love the idea, you know, the in-world reason, the way elves inherit, inhabit all magical swords, all your magical swords have the spirit of elves in them. That, that's wonderful. I, I also really like the idea that they're slightly different, you know, that their two spirits are slightly different and how to manifest that self or how to manifest that, and that would be super fun to role-play you know, two different aspects, kind of the same character and, you know, it, not necessarily Jack and Hyde, but kind of sort of like that. Right. So that would be really cool. Um, great ideas. As far as James Bond. Yeah, it was a great, great game back in the day. I don't think you can legally get any PDFs just because of the rights thing. I doubt that, um, you, you know, the, the rights holders will let, well, I, I think the rights when they moved on, they, you know, all just stopped trying to think it was broccoli right that had the you know did all those like sean connery movies and the, the broccolis that did the sean connery and james and um, roger moore movies but the the other one probably worth your time getting because it, it mainly just because it's a neat snapshot in the past is the q manual the q manual is pretty cool um, but yeah the, the james bond game has some really neat mechanics in it so i look forward to you reading it and then after you've read through it reporting back your thoughts compared to top secret. So top secret definitely, it was one of the early games, you know, with like the fortune, the fame points and James Bond expands on, on that kind of idea, which is really cool. The, the James Bond system actually for a one-on-one gaming, especially is, is really capable and really good. I definitely am very, especially since you're an old time top secret guy like me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to your thoughts after you've read through everything. Oh, yes. See, I'm glad that you did that. You have now uh, made it so I have to read the book. <laughs> I mean, of course I was going to read it anyways, right? But now I must report back so that this will give me motivation. No, seriously, though, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that Q manual, too. That sounds really interesting. I believe that I uh, heard a review of it from somebody at one point. I mean, of course, they were like, oh, you know, it's, it's dated, but in a way that's kind of really cool. Because to be honest, if I was going to run Top Secret now... Uh, I think I would still run it in the you know 60s, 70s, maybe early 80s, um, because I played New World Order, which I thought was pretty cool, but I don't know, it, a little too close to home. I don't think I felt like too comfortable playing you know uh, situations with terrorists and stuff. I don't know, it didn't, just didn't didn't feel right for me. So uh, over the top cheesy 80s bad guys just feels better for a game to me than more realistic uh, type things. Hi, Daniel. It's BJ. Uh, you, you made a reference to to uh, the conversation Jason and I were having. It did happen on, on my, my podcast, uh, The Arcane Aliens, but it was Jason's initial bringing up the, the idea that there's one pantheon and they're just seen differently or known by different names or different aspects across the uh, across the world. So, yeah, Jason was the one that brought that up, and then I, I responded with some, some thoughts on that as well. Um Hey, the cool—that's a cool idea about the 
the swords being sort of the the, the, the warrior spirits of um, of elves, um, and um, that made me think of part of the reason and you said you said the reason that that they wouldn't restrict themselves only to be used by other elves. So I'm sorry, I got cut off there. Um, that that the reason that they wouldn't limit themselves to being used by other elves is because they there's a wanting to help humankind and the world in general. Um, I thought another reason might be just that it made me think that it could be that the elves, the warrior spirit of the elves and the magic swords want to go to war. And the only people who can wield a sword to go to war besides an elf is a human. And so they would, they would allow human fighters to use them as well. Um, just because that's an ally that can get them back into the, <laughs> back into the game of, of, of fighting and sword play and combat. Anyway, just a, just an alternative thought there. ABJ. Hey, yeah. Uh, that is a great point. You know, maybe they just want to fight, right? <laughs> um, it's the warrior spirit of the elf. They, they want to continue fighting and, uh, hell yeah. Human can wield me and humans were our allies. Yeah. All right. I'll go with the human. Yeah. I can see that. Which also kind of explains why they're more powerful in the hands of elves, because maybe they would prefer to be with an elf, but a human? Yeah, I'll take that. Why not? Hey, Daniel, this is Minion of Confessions of Wheaton or Spushi. So, really appreciate your episodes. So much information uh, and uh, love of the game in there. The the uh, elf in original D&D is just so amazing. Um, the fact that they can switch classes is mind-boggling. And it's, it's it's actually really exciting. I don't see it as. I, th- I suppose we shouldn't see these things as challenges, to our reason or logic, because there shouldn't be any question of reason or logic. But we should be trying to find a certain uh, rationality for why the things they are as they are in the that magical world. So, um, when the elf comes back, you know, um, is it does it change because of night or day? Um, is it, is it more than having two souls? Perhaps the magic user is connected to the moon and the fighter is connected to the sun or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a really, really interesting concept and the idea of putting a soul into the sword or something to create a, a magical sword with an ego is really, really good too. Presumably that would only happen usually if there was volition on the elf side, but in other cases, maybe you know an evil sword would be the result of a, a, a tortured soul being trapped in a in a in a sword, you know, a tortured elf being trapped in a sword. So it's very you know it's quite thought provoking, and I really like that uh, very much. More so perhaps than the uh, the regular take on D and D. And now this kind of begs the question of. How about halflings and dwarves? Is it possible to come up with some similar um, background to them? For them, you know, perhaps the dwarves are from the earth. Uh, when they die, do they revert to the earth? Can they be resurrected? Um, how does the earth affect them? Do they do they sleep like other beings? Uh, similarly, with halflings, is there some way that we can we can create? A fundamentally different uh, aspect to that 
so-called race that sets them apart from human beings and really makes them uh, tick differently. I, I really, really like that. I really like that very much. Hey Rob, uh, thanks for your kind words. Um, oh, these are, yes, this is very thought-provoking. Uh, this is the kind of conversation about D&D that I love, kind of getting into the what could be versus the, oh, that's weird, they just didn't know what they were doing. Uh, I love just the, you know, and I, maybe they weren't thinking of these things, right? <laughs> but we are, we have it in front of us. And it's interesting that you say dwarves because uh, in, I think in Chainmail it is, maybe it's in od d it says something to the effect of dwarves see equally well uh, in light or dark or night and day or night or day or something like that is what it says. And that's their only reference to any kind of dark vision um, until Greyhawk where they actually come up with infravision. And uh, I was talking with my friend Nikki, and, and we were talking about what, what could that really mean? You know, what does that mean that they see equally well? You know, the first uh, interpretation might be, well, it's like dark vision, like you might have in 5th edition. But what, what she came up with was, what if instead of that, they're actually blind? And they use some kind of echo or, or, or you know, tremor sense, you know, and that's why they can see equally well in light or day, because they, they don't need uh, light to see. And we started thinking about the idea if they use some kind of a echo or tremor sense, like how would that affect them in, in the wide open spaces? And maybe that's why dwarves are, are underground, because when they come out in, in large open spaces, they become almost blind because they, they can't see, essentially, because they're using this like a, you know, sound bouncing off the walls around them. And it makes them very capable underground. So um, I'm working with her on that, actually, because I, I liked what she came up with. So we're kind of like bouncing that around a little bit but interestingly enough in this world that I'm building and it may tie into this is that the dwarves are actually considered more or less a uh, extinct race and that came from I was running a in the the module of the Cripsum in dormancy where um, the elves had killed all the dwarves thousands of years ago in, in a war and just in multiple games that I've played since then I just kind of mentioned that you know I'll say that in the game and nobody's played a dwarf since <laughs> So I've kind of decided that might be canon in my world that the dwarves are essentially a race that has been wiped out by the elves in, in wars years and years and years ago. And any player character dwarves are going to be uh, kind of the, those that have come from the earth that have been hidden away for thousands of years that didn't die. And possibly with these changes, with this idea that like they, they've lost their actual vision because they don't see, they've been in the dark. So their eyes are are essentially useless and now they see through some kind of uh, sonar or something to that effect. We haven't quite worked out the exact mechanic, but um, that's a little teaser of that. I think I'll do um, a little bit more. If people are interested, I'll do a little bit more on, on the dwarves. Oh, traffic's starting to come by here. Sitting on my front porch. Um, yeah, I'll do a little bit more on the dwarves um, in the future as we start to talk about it more. But I, I like the idea of uh, kind of, I don't want to say subverting, but you know, everybody has in their mind uh, it seems like they, they immediately go towards the, the Tolkien, uh, you know, dwarves, elves, whatever, and as you mentioned, the, the halflings, or slash hobbits, right? So I think that it doesn't need to be that way. You know, I think that in, in your world that you create, especially in a more loose game like a, 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 a OSR type style game, it's very easy to just make the races what you want of them. So um, yeah, I think if uh, people are interested, I'm, I'm going to sit down with her and get kind of the, the dwarf started starting to figure out the dwarf a little bit more 
Um, but that was our basic idea, was that they essentially are a, a more or less a lost race that have gone underground after these massive wars with the elves, you know, well before human history. And, uh, you know, so for most humans, they've never seen a dwarf. It'll be, uh, and even a lot of elves will have never seen a dwarf. It's really the kind of thing, like, that they're kind of coming out of nowhere to be found again. So, um, <laughs> it was funny because I actually said the other day, I'm like, well, I don't know if I should do something cool for halflings or just not have them because I feel like the elves and the dwarves are so interesting. So, we'll see where that goes. But that, that's kind of my plan. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm trying to let this OD&D world build um, by taking little things that happen in the one-shots that seem to be world-building and, like I mentioned with the clerics, and just kind of putting them into what will ultimately be the world. Instead of me sitting down with a pen and paper and thinking of, what is this world? I'm letting things happen in one-shots and things that players say and things that I say in response to players or things that they find and trying to turn those into what could possibly be um, the world, kind of like a living world, a changing world. So, yeah, I, I appreciate uh, all your calls. Thanks. Okay, so, like I said, keeping it short this time. Um, it's funny, the messages came in from Jason, I think yesterday, and uh, I've already read about a third of the James Bond book, so I will report back with uh, my findings here. So far, I'm liking it a lot. Uh, so thank you to my callers, uh, Jason, BJ, and Mignon, and I will talk to you all soon.